Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. Today, I want to talk about restored. We, we, have, we understand that from last week, Joseph was being restored to his brothers, but restoration is a process. And one of the things that I shared is sometimes in our life, there's, there's forgiveness where I forgive you, I cancel your debt, you don't have debt, but that does not mean I extend an incredible line of credit to you. It just means you don't have any debt with me. So that's one thing. Another thing is that sometimes you forgive someone and there is not a real restoration to the way things were. And then there's other times where you forgive someone, they forgive you, and through that difficulty, you have a greater level of history and transparency and intimacy with the person and what the enemy meant for evil, God worked for good, and now you actually have a greater relationship with the person because that relationship has been tested. Anything that is tested is more valuable than something that is not tested. And so we don't know if something is real until it's been tested. We don't know if someone is real until it's been tested. And the reality is that not everything that happens is actually a test. For example, I'll give you an example. When Joseph was young and immature and stupid, and he was antagonistic toward his brothers, him getting sent wasn't a test. He provoked that. That's because he's stupid. Some things happen to us. Do you know why? Because we're dumb. And we do dumb stuff. And we make ill-informed decisions. And we don't read the fine print. And we just do dumb stuff. I, I've done dumb stuff, so I can tell you boldly that we do dumb stuff. And that is not a test or a trial. But a trial and a test came to him when he said, no, I'm not going to be sleeping with my boss's wife. He did the right thing and got the wrong result. That's a test. So him getting sold, that's not a test. That's stupid. But him going to prison for something he didn't do, that was a test. And that was a proving ground. And so God, you know, his brothers were jealous. Again, they send them into slavery. The Midianites and the Ishmaelites are two enemies of God and enemies of the purposes of God. One was born out of lust. The other is an enemy that comes to steal a harvest. Ishmael was born out of lust and fear that it won't happen. So we got to make it happen. We're going to will it. We're going to do it. We're going to grind. We're going to do it. And that, that Ishmael was a troubler because anything that is conceived in lust causes trouble. Any decision that you make out of lust causes pain and trouble. So then the Midianites are an enemy that come to steal the harvest. In the, in the Old Testament, there's all types of enemies that you have to familiarize yourself with because those same type of spirits work against the people of God today. One of the spirits is the, the spirit of the Philistines. The Philistine spirit is a spirit that mocks God and wants to take the ark. That's the whole seeker-sensitive church. Oh, you don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to let the Holy Spirit move. We, that's a spirit of the Philistines mocking God in the house of God. I won't stand for that. We're after God here. We're going to go after God even more crazy. I, I don't care if worship, we're, we're going to seek after God. We spend all our time seeking after every other thing. We are going to seek after God. So in the Old Testament, you've got to familiarize yourself with certain enemies because there's certain enemies that come for presence. There's certain enemies that come for your relationships. There's certain enemies that come for your harvest. The Midianites only came to the Israelites when there was a harvest. So you have certain enemies that spirits and, and, and even sometimes people, they, they come only at a harvest time to, to bother you and to jostle you. So you have to, you have to be aware. So anyway, the, the, the Ishmaelites and then the Midianites and then he's delivered to Potiphar's house and then God raises him up in Potiphar's house and he's faithful in Potiphar's house and he learned stewardship and he learned self-control, which are very essential principles if you're going to be a ruler. There's a difference between serving and ruling. The, the prerequisites for a deacon are lower than the prerequisites for a bishop or for an elder. So the more influence that you have, the more responsibility that you have, the more is required of you. It's not less. So the reward of faithfulness is more pressure. Most people do not want, listen to me, most people do not want a promotion. They want the benefits of the promotion. They don't want the pressure that comes with the promotion. 
You want to be called a bishop, but that means that you're going to have to deal with pastor's problems, which are worse than people's problems because he's dealing with all their problems. And when he calls you in a crisis, it's worse than their crisis because it's a mount up of 10 crises that have visited his house and gave him a crisis. So you want to be called a bishop because you want a nice ring and a good car, but you're going to go through hell and you're going to deal with people's mess and crap and that's inconvenient. So is that really what you want or do you want a better car? If you want a better car, just say you want a better car. See, because when people pursue titles and pursue things and they want a promotion, that, that brings pressure on their life. Maybe your wife can't handle that pressure. Maybe, you know, sometimes God holds things for us and, and he's patient with us because maybe your husband can't handle what God wants to do in your life yet. So God is cultivating something in him to be able to handle what God is doing in the life of your wife and, and, and vice versa. So, so God is very patient in his cultivation with us because he's thorough and he wants to make sure that, that there's no cracks in the foundation. I don't know if you know this, but there's something that Japan does that's very profound. If, a, if pottery in Japan is cracked, do you know what they fill it in with? Gold. Gold. That speaks of truth. <laughs> there you go. Someone's honest. He's replacing Mary's ministry for today. The ministry of brutal, brutality and honesty. So that means if there's a crack in your foundation, you know what God fills the crack in with? Truth. Truth. Anytime I believe a lie or you believe a lie, we open ourselves up to be exploited by the enemy. Because what he does is, he doesn't have authority. The way he gets your authority is he sells you a lie, you believe the lie, and then he uses your authority against you. That's like taking someone's gun and gun whipping them with it. That's what the enemy does to us when he sells us a lie. And we smile and we think we're free and we're good and it's cool, but we're getting exploited in ignorance. And, and so anyway, the, the Lord doesn't want that. So the Lord works out the thing. So he worked out within Joseph self-control. He worked out stewardship. He, then he sent him to prison. Then he learned how to use his gifts. Then he learned how to use his gifts patiently without selfish ambition. So he had to wait two more years in the process of going through the process. Prophetic people go through a pruning and purging process so that they're not using their gifts to promote themselves. That's unclean. That's indecent exposure. That's unhealthy. Your gifts are for the glory of God, not for people to like you or to remember you. Your gifts are to reveal Jesus and to bless people. And if you bless people, you will be blessed. Even if those people don't bless you, God will find a way. He'll bless you through some other people. But it doesn't matter. You just use what you have with the right heart and with the right spirit, and God will, will bring forth your promotion. Think of the phone call he gets from Pharaoh. He has no connection to Pharaoh. He has no connection in his mind to anything there, and he goes from a prison to a palace because he went through a process. But, but we, can't, we cannot get ourselves promoted. If, if we are trying to, to get ourselves promoted, it doesn't work. I'll give you something. I'm not going to tell you the details. But the other day I was in a situation where I had to speak on my behalf, which is kind of not something I really like to do anymore because I learned about that. So what I did was I left it in the hands of the people whose hands it was in. And the results were more favorable than what I was told to ask for and what I was told to request. But I did that. You know why I did that? Because I trust God. I've learned to trust God, so I put it in his hands, and I said, you speak. Whatever, and I said, I will submit to what you say. And it worked in my advantage, favorably, very favorably, actually. More favorably than I expected. And more favorably than I was told. But that's because I have been in the prison. The prison of limitation, the prison of frustration, the prison of I'm using your gifts and nobody cares. The prison of the most valuable thing that you do for people, 9 out of 10 people don't even care. The most valuable thing that we do, people don't even see it. And we don't do it for people, we do it for Jesus. We don't, I'm, not, I'm not here for an award. I don't need an award. I'm not into awards. 
and I, I don't care about that. But what I care about is that when I look, when Jesus looks me in the face and in an instant of time, he sees every intention and every motivation and everything is completely naked to his eye and nothing is hidden. He looks deep into my soul and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you know that joy is the reward of faithfulness? Joy. Do you know joy is the thing that everyone is after? The two things that everyone is after is peace and joy. They don't want to work for it. They don't want to receive it. They want to do it their way. When someone is trying to uh, take medicine to get peace or they're trying to you know, go on a, you know, an expensive vacation, what they're looking for is peace. When someone goes and buys a yacht or a huge house or a, you know, a watch, or, what they're looking for is joy. We have it freely. It's like, anyway, God is good and he, he wants to bring, you know, restoration to his people. So, you know, Joseph goes through this process. So now God, God calls him up. So he learned stewardship in Potiphar's house. He learned self-control in Potiphar's house. Now he's going to the palace. But first through the prison. See, the gateway through breakthrough is, is often trouble, adversity, um, learning, in the dark, being in the dark room of development where God develops you and, and people don't know your name, people don't remember you, people, they, they don't even see you, but it doesn't matter because God sees you and God is working in you and God is working on you and God is preparing you, so embrace the process because everyone will know you in God's time, but it's not God's time, so don't worry about that. Focus on allowing God to work in you so that God can work through you, but it has to be real. Because it will be tested. See, you can tell what someone is about when they have power. I know what someone is made of in two seasons of their life. Adversity, you can see what someone is made of when all hell breaks loose against them. And prosperity. When someone has power, you can see what someone is really all about when they have power. You know, Joseph, when his brothers came, he had power over them. In the last season, guess who had power? They had power. What did they do with their power? They sold him. What did he do with his power? He blessed them. Who's more powerful? He is. Why? Because look what he did with power. So he didn't use his power for vengeance for violence, for retribution. He didn't remind them of how terrible they were and how terrible what they did. He didn't write them an email asking for a full and thorough apology so that he can have closure. He forgave them and blessed them and moved on with his life. And sometimes that's what you got to do. You just got to forgive people and just move on. And, and, and doesn't really, how they respond is not your problem. They're going to stand before God based upon how they respond. So in chapter 44, Joseph had the steward of his house put his cup in Benjamin's bag. You remember that? So it's a setup. Joseph is really something. This is, so he sets them up. Now, then it's discovered. The, the steward goes and finds it discovered. I'm going to try to get through 44 quickly. And, and then what happens is they all come back. Now Judah stands in the gap for his brother on his father's behalf because he knows that this is going to kill his father. And his father is, has been really living under a false assumption for 22 years. Listen to me. For 22 years, their father is living with the result of trusting the wrong person. He did not have all the facts. He did not have evidence. All he had is his coat. That's all he had. That's all he had. And he trusted the wrong people, his sons. Think of that. Imagine living for 22 years in the presence of your father as a liar, as someone who out of jealousy and insecurity sold not your older brother, your younger brother. Imagine that. Imagine being insecure toward your, your younger brother. Do you know how sad that is? That's like high-level sadness. That's real sad. 
It's one thing if the younger brother has a little chip on his shoulder because when he was young, he got mushed around. And, 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 but the, the older brother to have enmity and jealousy over his younger brother, mm, that's real sad. That's really sad. But now something has happened in the heart of Judah. Judah is now, even though he's still lying to his father, he is now considering his father's feelings. And now Judah stands in the gap and says, take me. He becomes surety or collateral, which is a picture of Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who said, my life for theirs. And he stood in the gap for us. So now Judah is like a, a picture of the gospel. And uh, so this is now setting the stage for the full revelation and, and eventually the restoration of this brotherhood. So they're eating and, and they're doing that whole thing. Uh, but I would like to remind you that this is the second time that they're in Egypt. So this whole restoration thing was a process. It wasn't like we meet, everything's great. It was like, and they still, and if I can just remind you, they still never really repented to him. But that didn't stop him from moving on. So don't let someone stop you from moving on. One of the things I've determined in my life, in my ministry with the Lord, and my ministry to the Lord is that I, re I realized two things. I'm not going to live to please people if I'm not going to live to please myself. So if my whole Christian experience is not living to please me, then for sure, you better know for sure, you better really come and understand that I am definitely not living to please you. Right? So if I am not living to please me, very, very, get, it, get it down for certain, I am not living to please you. Do you get what I'm saying? That's very important because because that's if you don't nail that down, you know you know you're gonna have you're gonna you're gonna really have some misconceptions on life and on the kingdom. And then the other thing I learned is that I will not seek promotion from people. I will seek the Lord. So I'm not seeking promotion. I'm seeking the Lord, and I'll let the Lord do what the Lord wants to do when the Lord wants to do it because He's big enough to bless me and He's big enough to speak on behalf of his own purposes, so I'm going to leave that in his hands. That's another thing. Another thing I learned is that I'm not going to hold bitterness in my heart toward people because my destiny in the kingdom is more valuable than what people think about me, said about me, did to me, didn't do for me, feel about me. I don't care about that. God bless them. I forgive them. I bless them. And when they stand before God, I hope nothing they ever did or said against me that he remembers that. I hope he forgets all of it because I don't care about it, because he forgave me in my iniquity, not sin, iniquity. So I said, okay, we'll just level that. And these are basic elementary principles. So now I am not going to allow an offense between you and I getting between me and God. Right? Because if Isaac hurts my feelings, and now I let the, the, an offense, uh, offense come up. <laughs> See that? Now there's a fence, and I think that it's protecting me because I got a little fence around my house. But it's keeping me in. And in addition to it keeping me in, it's keeping good people out. That's why some people have been hurt by authority. Their dad failed. And so then they have an authority issue. And they don't have anyone in their life that has the power to help them break through because they have an authority issue. I had it, so I know all about it. <laughs> I used to hate every type of authority, hate the police, hate everybody. I mean, you know, if a white guy hates the police, he's really demented. <laughs> he's a real sick person, you know. So I was just, I hated everything, authority. I didn't respect anyone, you know. And, but you, God has to change that in your life or else you'll be stuck. So anyway, remember this, that restoration is a process, not just an event. So now in Genesis 45, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the, additions, uh, and the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it. So he gets them out, right? So this is important because there are things that are private that should stay private. There are not things, you should not go public with things that are private. That's why, let me just give you, let me just encourage you with something. Do not have a meltdown in public or on social media. 
Don't do stuff like that because your digital footprint will determine who will hire you and who will not hire you. And you don't need your children scrolling through Facebook three years from now and going, my dad or mom is crazy. You know, when you start to consider how your children see you, it will change your life. When your little children look into your eyes, do they see fear and strength or, 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 and fear and insecurity or do they see strength and solidness? When your children look into you, what do they see? Do they see someone that puts God first or someone that's flip-flam moves around by everything? Where do you start to consider when your children look deep into your soul, what do they see? That will really mess you up. That will really mess you up and, and you begin to start to see things in a different light. When your little five and six-year-old looks deep into your soul, do they see strength or do they see weakness? This is something that you all, every, everyone is going to have to consider because your children will get to an age where you cannot front on them. They know. They know. You're gonna, you'll see. Where do they start verbalizing all that they know? The revelation will shock you. Children say the most profound things. The psalm says that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, which is breastfeeded child, little kids come praise. God perfects praise. Some of the most profound things that you will ever in your life hear, it's almost like the kingdom of God sent you a text message. And you're like, the other day my son, he sees me lifting. Elijah walks in. He winks at me and goes, you got it, and then leaves. I mean, the stuff that comes out of children is, is just, you know. So anyway, he gets everyone out. He gets everyone out. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Now, they're having a crisis. Guess who moved on? Guess who didn't move on? Now, watch him. This is a beautiful thing that he's going to say. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near to him. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life for these two years the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plow nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. For you. We do this for you. You do this for them. We are in this for people. Joseph went through that process, not for him, for them. That's important. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. You sold me, but I'm here to save you. And one of the ways you know someone is well is that they are concerned with the well-being of others. He is concerned. He says, see that you do not become, uh, do not be therefore grieved. Uh, excuse me. See that you do not be. No, no, no. He says, therefore, do not be grieved, which means to be worried or hurt. Or angry, to become hot, angry, or to get excited with yourselves. So now he understands something. This is what he understands. These men who do not have resolution because they did not have repentance, they do not have a healthy relationship with themselves. One of the things that we do in ministry, and you're going to do this in, in the marketplace, is you help people have a relationship with themselves. Listen, without Jesus, I do not have a functional relationship with me. That's like, that's like, whoa, we got a whole bunch of crazy stuff going on in this little war here. But with Jesus, I can have a peaceful relationship with me. Which means then I can be peaceful with you. Have you ever met someone and they're always agitated? 
So then they, they are a source of agitation. It's not because they're bad. It's because they do not have peace within themselves. So they cannot bring peace, establish peace, or make peace, or keep peace because there's chaos on the inside of them. So now Joseph is doing something very important because he is concerned about their well-being because he's well. So he says, guys, you know, uh, don't be upset with yourself. He, he, he's really, he's reading the room well. The more healthy you are, the more you can read the room. If you're not healthy and if you're not mature spiritually, you cannot read the room correctly. You're like, your reading is not, is not good. And, and one of the things that someone is unhealthy or immature is they often are inappropriate. And they don't mean to be inappropriate. It's just that there, there's a level of awkwardness because there's still development that needs to take place. So I will not walk into one room the way I walk into another room because that is not appropriate. You understand what I'm saying? So you have to learn to discern that because if you're inappropriate, you will not be invited back. That's important. Uh, Proverbs talks about a word that is spoken in season. It, it's like an apple of gold. So, so there, is, there is value and fruit in saying the right thing the right way in the right season. You, you, ha you have to learn this. This is something that you God cultivates in your spirit as you grow and as you walk with him. Okay, Joseph again puts the Egyptians out. This reveals... And then he reveals himself to his brothers. But what it reveals is that he has a little emotional intelligence. I know that you don't really find that word in the Bible. A lot of times the Bible is going to use self-control. But if you cannot regulate yourself, you don't have emotional intelligence. Because then you cannot read the room. I want to say this. Christians do not have emotional intelligence, mostly. They are not self-aware. And they often do not know how they come off with other people, even though they have well intentions. These are all things that in our society work against our gospel witness. So getting emotionally healthy is a part of being spiritually mature. This is a very, very important thing for us in the kingdom, because if not, it'll hurt my evangelism. It'll hurt my, my witness. It'll hurt how I come off with people. And even though my intentions are good. When you first start a new job, don't tell people, I'm Christian, I'm born again, I'm speaking tongues, blah, blah, blah. just be quiet. You don't need a Jesus fish on your car. You don't need that. What you need is self-control and wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to tell everyone your political stance the first time you meet them. You don't need anything like that. Just be quiet and show them. Because if you show them when you tell them, they'll listen. If you just tell them, they won't listen. So anyway, the half-brothers, I don't know if you, if you realize this, but they never asked for forgiveness. Do you know why he really didn't care? He forgave them. <laughs> okay. I like that one. <laughs> like, uh, our freedom is not based on their I'm sorry. In fact, the more mature person is supposed to be the instrument of healing and restoration according to Jesus. Jesus says if your brother has a problem with you, you go to him. That's very important. In fact, he says it's so important. He says, leave your gift at the altar, which means don't put it in the bucket until you're restored to your brother. You know what that means? That God values relationships over rituals. So God values our relationships. Your, your relationships are very, very important. In the kingdom, your relationships are the thing that will either propel you forward or cause you to really be stuck. If you're surrounded by good relationships, you're in a safe place. If you are not surrounded by good relationships, you are over vulnerable. One of the things that Solomon did is when Solomon slept, he was surrounded by men with knives. You have to be surrounded by loyal people, by people that are, that are looking out for your interests. That's what kingdom people are. They're people that look out for your best interests, which means they say hard stuff to you. I cannot say that I'm, I'm looking out for your best interests if I'm always light and sweet like the coffee. 
Because if someone doesn't, doesn't tell you what it is and how it is, then you're living with some assumptions that may not be accurate, which are hurting you because the enemy manipulates us through lying to us. The enemy controls us through lying to us. That's why truth is the thing that restores the foundation in our life. So in every situation, we want to ask God, God, what is your truth about this situation? And God's truth about Joseph's situation is that what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. And you thought that you were uh, selling me, but God was sending me. And you thought that you were going to take my life and destroy my life, but I'm here to save your life. See, and behind, let me say it this way, behind every pure heart is a renewed mind. Your heart will not remain pure if you don't renew your mind. If your mind is not renewed, your heart will not remain pure. There is a connection to your heart and your mind that, that only Jesus can make, and it's may the peace of Christ guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. May the peace of God Guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. So peace is a defensive weapon that guards your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. I met someone, I'm going to tell you the story. I met someone that had a heart of gold. Bigger heart than me. I mean, really big heart, loving, but he was dumb. Stupid. Every time he had an opportunity, he blew it. Me and uh, Brother Reginald, we, 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 we had a hostage situation in a pool where we, 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 integra- and we like interrogated this guy. I mean, really. And we were trying to get through to him because he was not making connections in his mind. He would like die for you, but he was just dumb. And we were really seeing the potential in this young guy, and we were speaking to him. I mean, we spoke to him for hours in the pool. Yeah, we were pruning. I looked like a prune. He looked like a you know a prune. And and so we we were we were like really trying with everything that we knew to say. So we came the Haitian way. We came the New Jersey way. We came like the Kingdom way. I mean, we just I mean, it was like a clobbering session. Of we're trying to get through to this guy, and this guy is looking at us like he can't see it. And we were like really frustrated because, you know, we were trying to help this guy. He couldn't see it. And he had a heart of gold, but his mind, he couldn't get it. He was upset too. So it's interesting how, how that pure heart can get upset when someone gets after you. So he was upset with us, and he, you know, he didn't really get it. And we didn't care because we were like, whatever. we're trying to help you, bro. Like, we don't have anything to gain from you. We're really trying to help you. And, and so he, two years later, he calls me and goes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for caring enough for saying that to me. And I have seen that if your heart, that your mind doesn't catch up with your heart, you're not going to be very useful. So your heart and your mind, they have to stay connected through peace, the peace of Christ, and they got to grow at the same rate. Why? Because behind Joseph's pure heart of I'll forgive you and I'll bless you was a belief. So that underlying belief is what helped him push unforgiveness out of my heart. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You thought... You were selling me. God said he was sending me. So through the forgiveness and through him letting go and moving on, the power to do that in his heart is found in his head by what he believes about God and about his situation. So this is very, very important to have a pure heart and a renewed mind and guarding your heart and your mind. So anytime you do not have peace, your heart or your mind is overly vulnerable to foreign influences. All right? So what happens? The enemy projects fear. The sky is falling. Oh my God, you'll never go back to work. COVID, 
this, that. You'll never be able to get a car at that price because there's a shortage of chips. And if you don't do it now, you're going to lose. Ooh. Oh, you'll never find a watch at this price. All watches will disappear if you don't get them now. And so the enemy pushes us and pushes us. And we, we either get peace in our spirit and make a decision from peace or we move on impulse and, and the impulse is rooted in fear and lack, which is an orphan spirit. And fear and lack, if I make a decision based on fear and lack, guess what I get more of? Fear and lack. So the enemy will try to press us and to take our peace from us so that we don't have the power to move forward with wisdom. Wisdom is, is me building on Every decision I make, there's wisdom. Every decision you make, there's wisdom. And wisdom is the principal thing. It's the foundation thing. It's the thing that lays the next step for you to move on, but being sure-footed. Wisdom makes you sure-footed. So we want to move with the wisdom of God. So anyway, he, he, he reinterprets his situation, and he's, he's going to get ready to send them. Let me just read this quickly. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me for God sent me therefore to preserve you for these two years of famine would be great. Okay, we went there. So now it was not you who sent me but God and he has made me a father to Pharaoh. He's Pharaoh's daddy. You will either be Daddy or their son? You will either be the one that is bringing the influence and identity and purpose or they will be the ones doing it. He was Pharaoh's daddy. When Pharaoh had a problem, guess who he called? Daddy. Let me show you something. It happened right here. There was contention over this device. Probably Abel and, and, and Elijah, the, the two spirited studs. Guess what happened? Elijah came to me and he said, Dad, can you hold this from me? What's the point? The point is that they go to daddy when there's a problem. When Pharaoh had a crisis, he reached out to Egypt. Egypt could not help him. Unless you are fully convinced that Egypt cannot help you in a crisis, you run to Egypt. And guess what? Egypt needs us because we bear him. We have Jesus. We have the peace that guards our heart and our mind. In times of anxiousness and fear, we're as peaceful, happy, well, thankful, because we trust God. That eventually has to touch your feelings and how you respond. Eventually it has to get down into the very reflexes of your life. Your habits determine your reflexes. Okay, so he was Pharaoh's daddy. Imagine being the spiritual father to the most powerful man in the world. Guess who's really the most powerful man in the world? <laughs> Isn't that interesting how that works? He goes from a pit to the spiritual father of the most powerful man in the world. To the one who provided wisdom and strategy. And you're going to see in the next few chapters, which we cannot finish this. I can't get out of Joseph, man. I'm sorry. I, I've been trying. I've been trying to leave Joseph for Daniel. I've been trying to leave Joseph for Daniel. And uh, it's like I can't do it. That sounds like some strange stuff there. But uh, we're not into that. But, uh, but, you know, I mean, I'm trying to get out of Joseph. And the Lord is saying, we're going to stay here for a little while longer. So, but, but here, Brett's reading a nice old book on Joseph. 
we got a good book. We got some highlights. I mean, this book is really beat you up. It really give you a beat in that book. Two few chapters, you feel like you got beat up. But this thing is really intense. And uh, so anyway, Pharaoh, he, he, people, listen to me. We reach out for help. If you need help, reach out. Nobody can read your mind. Nobody, nobody knows everything's going on in your feelings in your life. If you need help, reach out. Nothing wrong with that. He's rich and powerful, but he's not stupid. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's possible to be rich and powerful. You don't got to be stupid, too. He's just like, man, I got power, I got money, I got people, but I've got a problem I cannot resolve. So he reaches out. Egypt has no help. He finds help in the kingdom. The kingdom. There's help for us in the kingdom. I'm a kingdom investor. That's what I do. I invest in people. I am a kingdom investor. I look for good soil and I invest. That's what we do as kingdom people because that market will never fail. How do I know? Look at the church. No matter what society has done to the church historically, globally, and through the last 2,000 years, it only advances because the kingdom only increases. You can kill them, light them on fire, chop their heads off, feed them the lions, and they multiply. You hate women, you oppress women, great. The fastest growing church in the world will be in a nation led by women. How do you like that, devil? <laughs> sucker, the devil is a sucker. All right. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Do not hurt. Do not wait. Move. Sometimes you got to. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Therefore, provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five more years of famine. Poverty is not the will of God. Poverty is not the will of God for the people of God. You better get that out of your head. Seriously. That is not. Now Joseph is looking out for the economics of people who sold him. I don't know if you're. You got to humanize this for a second. Look at that. That is, a, that is big. That is a kingdom guy who's big on the inside. Be bigger on the inside. Mercy is what makes you powerful. It's really something. And behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin. See that it is uh, my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father all of my glory in Egypt. <laughs> he doesn't hold back, huh? And all that you have seen and you shall hurry and bring down my father there. Now, can I tell you something nicely? Role reversal. He's not asking them. He's telling them. And guess what? They're in a position where they need him and they need to listen to what he's saying to them. I'll just throw that out there. Sometimes you really need to listen to what is being said to you and you really need to consider it. Okay. Then uh, he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. He kissed them and he forgave them and he wept over them. He, he had compassion for them. After what they did to him, he was weeping over them. And, that, and you know, let me tell you something about ministry. You will weep over people that will curse you. You will care for people that don't care about you. You will care for people that only their need brings them here. They will leave you faster than a bad habit. And that's all right. Just love them. Just love them. Just keep loving them. Because their actions don't determine your love. The Father determines our love. That's important. Okay. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come, so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father 
and your households and come. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. This is getting me ready to start yelling here. Now you are commanded, do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for you, your little ones, your wives, bring your father and come and do not be concerned about all your goods for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. The best. Why do church people accept less? The best. You got the best, people look at you suspicious. Look what God did for people that were not even faithful. They were not even faithful people. But they were his people. <laughs> the best of all the land. Not the worst. Not leftover. Not, not liquidation. The best. That has to get in your spirit. Pharaoh is saying this. It's like when folks come to church, they lose their mind. This, the, the premise of, this is, for example, I'm going to touch on what's Pastor's Appreciation Month, right? So, so they don't want to see a pastor rich. They'll be like, oh my God, how can you get rich serving God? Okay, so Wait a second. So you can get rich getting naked. Right. Amen. Preach. You can get rich putting on a dress and acting like a woman on TV. Uh-huh. When you're a man. Preach. You can get you can get rich cursing someone's future on Wall Street. But caring for people, I can't get rich. You're crazy. You better get out of here. Amen. Oh, I'm serious. No, I'm not playing. You you have to get that out of your mind. That's orphan thinking. God gave his people the best. They sold their brother and look at the goodness of God on their life. Imagine you sell your brother and God goes, son, I've got the best for you. Because I'm going to teach you not about you, about me. And I'll use Pharaoh. Look at that, the grace of God. The land of Goshen, the only place on earth that is flourishing, God brings his people right there. And Joseph is watching out for the economics and the posterity of the people because God is using all of his power and all of his resources to fulfill the word that he said that there is a seed that is going to come forth who is going to crush the serpent's head. And God says, I'll move heaven and I'll move earth to protect the seed because that seed is my son. And I'm going to call Israel, who is my son, out of Egypt and I'm going to use my power and in the midst of adversity and slavery and brutality, I'm going to make them a mighty nation. That's what God does in adversity, in hardship. One of the greatest contributions to the United States of America is the black church. Gospel music. And that is, I'm saying that not to be a white woke person. I'm saying that because I grew up in a hood church. And when worship starts, they don't play around. They got something to praise God for and through, something to be thankful about, a place where they learn to forgive even though they've been mistreated. And there's something in the black church that you don't find in the white church. And I said it, because I grew up in it and I know all about it. There's something there that you don't find in the white church. I said what I said. Those people know about a sacrifice of praise. When you've been mistreated, when you live on the wrong side of the train tracks, when police are hunting you, when people are suspicious of you, you think it's not in America? Shaquille O'Neal was at a, was at a, was at a Rolls Royce dealer, and they were looking at him like a normal black guy. They didn't know who he was. And they go, are you sure you can afford that? Billy, the salesman who can't even buy one, is telling him, are you sure you can afford that? You know what he did? He bought three. 
When you say, oh, it's not in America anymore. No, no, no. It's rooted real, real deep. Don't lie to yourself. There's something in the black church that is not in the white church. That you don't got to convince them to worship. You don't got to go, oh, come on, guys. Let's go. All right. Let's go. Come on. Let's enter in. They're thankful. They'll come there. They'll stay, they'll stay all night, and they don't feel hostaged. They don't go, when is pastor going to be done? I got to work tomorrow. They'll be like, praise the Lord. They'll be singing and shouting and dancing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And everyone, everyone's like, I got, I got a job. I got to work. I got to go home. No, 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 no. Listen, let me tell you something. When you've been through something, oh, you're thankful. Yes, sir. Oh, you're thankful. You, you, you know, you'll lift your hands, you'll dance and spit and shout and swing and, and, you know, because you are thankful. See, when you, when, you, when you have been through something and God has carried you through it, you remember what it was like to pass through the valley of the shadow of death, you learn, I will fear no evil. You learn that the same person that took you to green pastures and still waters will walk you through the valley of the shadow of death and bring you to a table of your enemies and you'll eat with boldness and confidence because he puts you at the table, not you. You'll walk differently because he sent you. See, Joseph was prepared. He was prepared. We've got to allow God to prepare us in our spirit. We've got to take our journey with God seriously. Seriously. There's nothing more serious. I'm not demeaning a career or a bedtime, but I'm saying, listen, all of that is second. If you don't seek after God with all of your heart, all of your efforts don't matter. If you don't put God first, every good thing that you're doing doesn't matter. If God is not the center, it doesn't matter. So anyway, he brings them into the land. He, bring, he gives them carts so that they travel in comfort. You see how they're traveling? That wasn't common. Common people in the ancient world did not travel in no cart. They walked or they were on donkeys. God says, no, no, no. My people are crazy. My people are Jerry Springer. But I'm bringing them in on carts. And I'm going to give them the best of the land, not because they're the best, because I'm the best. I'm going to do it through the favor I put on Joseph's life. Because Joseph said yes. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? When the guy gives you your breakthrough that you cursed, ain't that something? Ain't that something that you're selling the man who holds your future in his hands? Because God didn't just come down from heaven and start dancing and speaking in tongues. God sent Joseph. Joseph went before them. Joseph had to go through a process so that he could be the type of person who when he has power, he uses it for the benefit of others. That's different than the world. The world uses power for its own benefit, to control, to manipulate, not to lift. In the, in the kingdom, we use power and strength, not to oppress, but to lift. You're strong, cute. Lift people up. Oh, you're wealthy? Good. Be generous to people. You have a big house? Great. Show hospitality. You're strong? Great. Bear with the weak. You're powerful? Nice. Be patient with people that are dumb. That'll get the dumbness out of them through love and patience. That's what gets the dumbness out of us. Love and patience. That's what God was with us. Love and patience. Loving and patience. It says that God is long-suffering toward us. That we might come into repentance. So the long suffering, which is the attribute of God that works repentance in our life, which means helps me to change the way I think. Metanoia. You know, you know Meta? Meta, Facebook, we did it, 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 it went Facebook to Meta. You know Meta? You know what me, you know the root of Meta? That's the root of the word metanoia, which is repentance. They're trying to shape how you think. 
The world is bold. Churches are like, well, you know, I just don't know if I should tell them about Jesus at work. They might cancel me. Shout it from the rooftop. Muslims will bow down. They'll get a carpet. They'll bow down to Allah in the middle of Walmart. They'll get on a plane and they'll bow down to Allah. Christians are so scared and so shook. We need to wake up. We are. We are. We need to wake up. We got to think about what we're producing. Israel will produce people that will die for the land. Muslims will produce people that will blow themselves up for the cause. Christians produce people that go to church once and a half times a month. 80% of them do not even tithe. That may not be you guys, but that is what is out there. That's what we're producing. That is sad. Jesus did not die for that and bleed for that. Okay. I'm going to end in 46, which some of you think I've ended already. But he said, some of you ended already, but, but here he, he, he sends them to come. So Israel, so he sends for Israel. They're going with the carts. They're going to go get the people of God. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Now this is after, let me, let me read this. Give me, give me, uh, give me like. Three minutes. He gave to them all to each man changes of garments. Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Five is the number of grace. Remember, he gave him five portions. Five is the number of grace. It's the number of favor. So he gives him more. He's a whole brother, not a half brother. And he sent his father these things. Ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away. And they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. So now he's saying, do not be troubled. Do not be agitated. If you go back to that, the word there is do not tremble. Do not be in a fear. In other words, I'm not going to come for you while you're on the way. Go in peace. He is always concerned about their well-being. That's a very important kingdom principle. If you use that in the marketplace, people will come into the kingdom. You will pastor them into the kingdom because most people are not concerned about other people's well-being. They're only concerned about themselves. That is the essence of being broke. The essence of being broke is not about money. It's all you care about is yourself. The essence of being sick is all you can see is yourself. That is different from how are you? The ability to see someone and care. And make them very uncomfortable with the real answer that they don't want to give. Because they're, they're doing everything to, to pretend. Then he went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, Jacob their father, and told them, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he could not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts, say, and when he saw the carts, the favor and the authority must materialize into something. And when he saw the carts... The carts speak. Don't get religious on me. <laughs> Which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. There was something natural that happened that was true on earth that touched him spiritually. When he heard and saw, he was revived. The blessing that is on his son's life, revived his hope. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. I want to shoot that clock. <laughs> Sorry, but you got your burn out there. Shoot that thing. <laughs> okay. Back to reality. All right. Joseph, so he, so his, the father's spirit was revived. And then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go see him before I die. Listen, he's still talking about death. He really needs a revival. They just told you your son is alive, but he's lived for 22 years under a false assumption, which is very damaging to someone psychologically. This happens to people who get born again later in life. They feel that they've lost so much, they've wasted so much, 
that they have been damaged by the world. So it's okay, God is going to heal you so that you can understand that you have more living to do. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. <laughs> oh, man. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear. Go down to Egypt. I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. So Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts, which Pharaoh sent to carry them. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to Egypt. So there's things that you acquire, listen, in the promised land, that you bring with you to Egypt, reminding you that you're not going to be in Egypt forever. There was... The, all right. This is a good sign, just so you know. <laughs> We're in the third quarter. Fourth and one. <laughs> oh, okay. Now God speaks to him. This is crazy. God speaks to Israel and calls him Jacob. Jacob, <laughs> if you think that God doesn't have an incredible personality, you never met God. I can just see God grinning. Jacob, Jacob, <laughs> like you yell for your kids. Jacob, Jacob. <laughs> you know what God called Peter when he restored him? Three times he called him his old name. Three times in front of everyone, by the way. Because if you're public, you're going to get rebuked publicly. If you're going to be a public figure, you got to get used to getting rebuked publicly because that helps you deal with public criticism. People that cannot be rebuked publicly will not be able to deal with public criticism. That's a whole other thing. We'll just leave that alone for now. The church doesn't want to do that. That means calling someone to account publicly. Hey, you dropped the ball. Now people would be so offended you get an email. Sarah at We See Jesus Ministries. <laughs> That's where you take that offense. That's where that offense goes to die. So his response to God speaking was a sacrifice and an offering. Uh-oh. Learning to respond to God with gratitude is essential. I had a very good week this week on multiple levels. Guess what I did this week? I planted intentional seed on different soil. Not my tithe and not my offering. Special seed on special soil because God has been extra good to me this last week in several areas that I'm not going to go public with because it doesn't matter. If you stick around, you'll see. But, but the thing is simple, that we respond to the goodness of God with offering and with sacrifice. Do you know that he didn't even move toward his son until he blessed God? I mean, that, that's something to really, you know, Abraham was a man everywhere he went, he built altars. If you want to be someone with a fire, you have to put something on the altar. I mean... That's another thing that the black church knows, that the white church does not know. Sacrificial giving. Not giving out of my abundance. Sacrificial giving, that's a whole different story. That's, that's, that, I'm telling you, I've been in both seasons, giving of abundance, that's great, you smile. But sacrificial giving is like a sacrifice of praise. That thing hurts. It hurts. It's like, woof, <laughs> you're like, woof. You know, but that's different. See, the black church knows about that. The white church doesn't know about that. You, you miss, you know that through suffering you learn and you experience different things of God that you can't when everything's going good? God is near to the brokenhearted. He loves everybody, but when you're brokenhearted and your heart is open and tender, there's a nearness that you experience that you don't experience any other way. I felt it when my mom died. 
I felt like Jesus moved into my room. You, you, this is the thing that we experience in our journey. You, you experience God comes in in, in a way. Okay. Sent ones. I cannot do this this week. We're going to get into this next one. Sent ones are cultural and social engineers. I'm going to, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But Joseph knew how to get his family in. So we're going to next week. We're going to talk about how he got his family in the position his family received and what he had to steward with them in there. Because there's a whole thing there. There's a whole bunch. But sent ones, apostles, prophets, people that God sends to a place for a purpose are cultural and social engineers. They know how to pull things and people together for the right time and for the right purpose. He knew, I'll give you the example, he knew that, that the Egyptians despised and thought little of Shepherds. So he secured them a place of pasture and he got jobs for his brother and he got them in under the radar because they were perceived as non-threatening. Pharaoh doesn't know that in, 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 in just, just in some generations, a shepherd is coming. With God's rod in his hand to take people out, which is an open smack to Pharaoh for overplaying his hand and abusing God's people. But through that, God formed them. So we're going to get into that next week. Sent ones are cultural and social engineers. This is important. This is very, very important. Really rich people understand this. Let me explain to you how really rich people get it. They know how to seat the right people at the right tables when they gather. Poor people don't understand that. That's another message. All right. Joseph knew how to get his... Okay, we're done with that. <laughs> we're, done. we're done. Sometimes I get done with myself. You probably don't believe it, but I'm like, I'm done here. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I offended myself three times as well. So, all right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much, God. I am so thankful that you are really committed to us, that you would take people who did some grimy stuff and give them the best, not because they deserve it, because you're good. And so today, we're leaning into your grace. We're trusting in your faithfulness, not ours, in yours. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in your faithfulness. Lord, today we trust you. Today we love you. God, help us to serve you with pure hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv invite.